There's a world that's lost and dying And people that are trying To find a life and live it on their own But how will they hear If we don't go and share A new life of love in Christ alone We have a soul purpose A soul purpose A purpose to please our Lord to speak to and souls to rescue a witness to our loving Lord we're a witness to our loving Lord the Lord said go and tell them of a mansion up in heaven it's a place prepared for you and for me don't live a life of fear just hold that promise dear of jesus up in heaven we shall see we have a soul purpose a soul purpose a purpose to please our lord people to speak to and souls to rescue a witness to our loving lord we're a witness to our loving lord we have a a soul purpose, a purpose to please our Lord. People to speak to and souls to rescue, a witness to our loving Lord. We're a witness to our loving Lord. Amen. Is that one? We good? You there? Can you hear me now? Yeah? All right, good. All right, let's go ahead and jump over this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we'll examine uh, the scriptures here this evening. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pretty familiar passage of scripture over here, and uh, pretty familiar verses as well. And uh, we'll just read a couple verses, then we'll go back and do a little bit, a little bit of digging here. Are you there? Say amen. amen. All right. I do like the reminder over there, that little life preserver, or whatever it's called there, the buoy, the red ring. Um, but it is it's a great message this morning, tremendous challenge, and uh, we do have a sole purpose. And so, appreciate that song there by the guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33 and 34, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. I think we're pretty familiar as a congregation this evening on a Sunday night uh, with this passage of scripture, specifically these verses out of this passage of scripture. Most of us uh, will have it memorized or be at least incredibly familiar with it, able to finish the phrase or the verse as it were, and upon initial uh, assumption or evaluation of this passage, it's pretty simple to deduce um, when you look at it that communication is important. The apostle is, is clarifying that, and our communication could cause others to go astray as the communication, the communication that we receive could cause us to go astray. Evil communication corrupts good manners, and so it affects 
our behavior. It's not just words we're hearing, but it has an actual effect on our life. And, and so he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Make sure your communication is right and what you're allowing to influence you is not a negative influence. Make sure there at the end there, he says, for some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. And so you could look at that and say, well, there's, there's, uh, there's a world out there that's lost and dying. I need to be communicating good truth to them. I need to be sharing the message. It's shameful that there are so many people that are lost and that I don't speak up with the gospel. And so my communication is once again emphasized about how incredibly important it is that I communicate properly. There are many lost in this world. And we all could do a better job for sure. And so that is certainly to our shame uh, in that... Uh, we could do more all the time. We could always be better in communicating it and in our efforts in reaching out to the lost. These statements and what I just uh, quickly rehashed of these verses are great teaching applications from this passage. When supported with other parts of scripture, um, they, they teach very true biblical principle. But this is not the context of the passage. It's not a soul winning passage as it were. It's not even necessarily uh, about my shame and how the lost world is out there and I need to reach them. There is a, a bigger picture here and it goes back uh, towards the beginning of the passage where the Corinthian church has been uh, inundated with people who are calling themselves Christians who are denying the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is addressing that in the church. He's, he's teaching them that, hey, uh, this, is, this is a great fallacy, and you've heard of me how I delivered unto you the gospel, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he address, addresses this false doctrine that's creeping up into the church. If you look down back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 12, it says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And, and so he's, he's putting on the brakes. You know, you know, you ever done a brake job on a vehicle and you, you get done and you bleed it out and then you start pumping those brakes and trying to build up pressure to make sure that your pedal actually works? I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah, there's a lot of people going like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just trust that your mechanic does it. If you've ever stopped your car, he's done it. Uh, and maybe you've done it when you're going down the road, you know, and you feel like you're, you're coming up on somebody too quick and you kind of pump that pedal a little bit. That's what Paul is doing with the church of Corinth here. He, he's about to pump the brakes on them. Like, whoa, we need to slow down here. And as he stated there, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? We, we got to reevaluate what we're, we're teaching here. Verse number 13, he says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? If there's no resurrection, if, if, if no one is going to resurrect from the dead, then, hey, you got to be careful about what you're teaching here because that means that Christ never rose from the dead. This has serious implications, and I, I think we're pretty well aware of that, that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our salvation is lost. And that's what he says in the very next passage. And if Christ be not risen... Then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Hey, Corinthian church, you better slow down a minute here. Because if what you're teaching is true, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. And all of us who have been teaching and preaching and sharing this gospel are a bunch of liars. 
We've not been teaching the truth. We've been proselytizing to a false doctrine. And, and you better be careful about the, the implications of what, you're impl- of what you're teaching here. Our preaching is vain. It's vanity. It's worthless. It's, it has no substance. And, and so your faith also is in the same condition. It is, has no substance to it. It is worthless. Verse number 15, he says, And yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified... Of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ, not, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. You're still lost. If, if, if he never rose from the dead, then, the, then what you have placed your faith in and, and what you have been talking about, what you've been sharing, and they had been, they had been teaching and they were zealous about it and they were sharing it one with another. All this stuff, what you're talking about, it's all worthless, it's in vain. It's only in the resurrection of Christ that our salvation is solidified. And then he goes on a step further. He says, I also want to clarify, verse number 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. It's not just you that are out. <laughs> it's not just you that are lost. I want you to think about all the people who have already died. All the people who have gone on before believing this truth. They too are now lost in hell. Because of this false teaching. And so there's some pretty serious, uh, pretty serious uh, implications to this false doctrine. He then goes on in verse number 19... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most miserable. This is what the church was teaching. The church was teaching that we have Christ through his crucifixion and his sacrifice and his atonement in our lives. And so now we can have him to help us in this life. But after that, it's all over. And he, what Paul was clarifying to the church was saying, if it is only about this life and there was no resurrection, what a miserable experience that is. I mean, this life is only tolerable and only with hope because of what Christ has done for us and because of eternity. Because of what we will enjoy after this life. And he says, if that's the uh, assumption, the supposition that you're basing your faith in here, you are of all men most miserable he goes on here in first corinthians chapter 15 and i just want to read through it quickly here verse number 20 he says but now is christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead first adam second adam for as in adam all die even so in christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order christ the first fruits afterward they are christ at his coming Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. That God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? 
if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts of Ephesus, what advantageth it to me? If the dead rise not, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Hey, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, and if he has not conquered death, then there is no hope. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. You know, that's, the, that's our gluttonous motto whenever we feel like you know, we want to indulge ourselves. But it's not a good thing. The implication here is that's the response of someone who is without hope, who does not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And so he's correcting false doctrine as we approach verse number 33 and 34. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You see, if you buy into this teaching and you perpetuate this false doctrine, you're corrupting good manners. You have developed evil communication in your life that is now going to be a hindrance and a hurt to those around you and to yourself. You don't realize the, the implications of what you are teaching. And so he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Get a picture of who God really is. Start to learn of, of who he really is. And this will keep you from sin. This sin of doubt and disbelief. The sin of faithlessness that was being testified of in this Corinthian church. Who were teaching that Christ had not crucified. And this was the sin that they had fallen into. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. They don't have a complete picture. They've bought in. Hey, hey, Corinthian church, this, the, these people who are teaching this false doctrine have heard it from somewhere and have bought into it. And you know what they're doing? They don't, they don't know. They're lost. They don't know who Christ truly is. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, I speak this to your shame. You should not be listening to those who are not backing what they're teaching without the word of God. You should be teaching the word of God. You should be, be able to handle the word of God with maturity and be able to have meat in your life so that you can teach the word of God. It is shameful for a believer to have been in the faith for any extent of time and not be able to discern biblical doctrine and truth through the word of God. This is what is shameful for us. And so the context is a little bit different than maybe what we normally hear out of this passage. Well, once again, I'll reiterate, very true and accurate biblical principle but i want to preach tonight on the subject in context of this passage tonight of awake awake and so we'll look at that for the next few moments father we do thank you for this evening lord and the time that we have in your house and so lord i pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word lord may we be careful to uh, let your holy spirit work in and through us this evening and Lord, may we respond in obedience to your Spirit's voice in our lives. Lord, we're not here out of tradition. Lord, we've gathered tonight and we want to hear from you. Meeting any other way outside of the Holy Spirit's intervention, Lord, is a fruitless endeavor. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts 
Lord, that we would leave differently than the way we came in. Lord, shaped more closely to the image of your son. And Lord, I pray that that response of obedience would be something we carry through in consistency in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I remember one of the first times I was uh, out hunting with my father-in-law. Actually, it was to be father-in-law at that time. And, uh, and he's got a tradition that I was aware of at that point. And, uh, and we had went out hunting early in the morning. And uh, we had gotten up really early to get out in time. And I think maybe he left the house around 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And we drove quite a distance to get where we were going. And we hunted. And so you're sitting in a stand for all that time. Nothing happened that morning to get my adrenaline pumping. Uh, so we didn't kill anything. And, uh, and so we, we finish up the hunt, and we get down, and we get in the truck, and we're driving back home. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a long day already. It's probably 10, 11, and, and I'm feeling it. I, I didn't go to bed probably till 12 or 1 o'clock the night before and just slept a couple hours. And, and, uh, and I remember I'm in the truck, and I'm driving with him, and, you know, the old, I'm the passenger here. And uh, don't try this while you're driving. And I, I begin to nod off. And, and I can feel it, but I'm just giving right into it. It feels so good. And, uh, and so I'm nodding off, and right out of the, the, the corner of my eye, before I could actually wake up, I see his arm dart across the center console, and he grabs my knee, and he goes, wake up! <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you're in that, like, twilight sleep, you know? And boy, does it get you! Boom! Just like that. And not only are you awake, you're, like, ready to respond. If you ever scare a pastor, like walking around the corner in this building, you're going to see what wake up means, all right? Yeah! <laughs> all right? And, uh, and so, Shaviv has great... I mean, I won't go there. <laughs> great karate skills. It's a perfect dad-style joke. He grabs your knee and says, wake up. And really, he's trying to keep himself awake by waking you up. And, and, uh, and I remember I was immediately alert. This is the mental picture I have when I think of Paul's warning here to the church. I see him reaching across that center console and just kind of, hey, you're, you're drifting. You're, you're, you're going the wrong direction here, and, and I want you to wake up. Wake up. Awake to righteousness and sin not. You see, there are so many voices in the world today. And, you know, I, I did a quick Google search and got 100% accurate information so you can trust everything this I'm about to say. I found out that there are 78 pronouns for people's genders. You know what? And one of those 78 pronouns for genders actually means that there is no pronoun for the gender. And so it's just whatever. It's just open and... I mean, you can find an answer for questions that have not even been asked. And that's basically what they're saying. They're saying, hey, here, this is just all-inclusive. You know, we'll cover all the bases, and in case your pronoun's not in here, here, we've got one for you, too. There are so many voices. And we look out in the world today, and we certainly understand that. We, we look at things, and, you know, I, I even mentioned in our class this morning, a big push and everything. You turn on the news at all, you're going to hear about Disney, if it's any kind of conservative news. And you're going to hear about Disney, and... And uh, their big push. I walked in the house the other day and my wife's like, I trashed the Buzz Lightyear t-shirt. <laughs> and she was so disheartened. But she's like, it just makes me so sick. And uh, she's like, I had it since our first son. And, uh, but you're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about the, 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 the voices constantly pushing their agenda. 
trying to convince you, give you an answer. And, and the truth of the matter is that we can find any answer to justify any action we want in our lives. I recently uh, read an article, and, 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 and let me bring this a little closer to home, because in context, he's not dealing with the world, he's dealing with the church. And he's dealing with the voices inside of the church at Corinth. And while we look out there and we say, oh, there's 78 pronouns, it's ridiculous, ha, 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 ha. We can identify the fault and the failure there, the flaw in their thinking and their philosophy, and it's pretty easy to see that. But what about when it comes in a little bit tighter in our circle? And it's in here. It's in our homes or it's in the body of Christ. I recently read an article and it was in an expository preaching website. I thought, man, for sure, expository preaching. You got to be accurate to the word of God. Well, it was a message by Joel Olstein, And he took Joel chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And he took this whole philosophy about, philosophy about the I am. You need to speak the I am's into your life. I am beautiful. The effect will follow the I am that you say. Let the weak say, I am strong. So you might be weak, but as long as you say, I am strong, then you're going to become strong. What you envision for your life is what you'll become. Right? <laughs> you ever seen him on TV? Oh, man. It makes you want to have a seizure watching him. And I'm not mocking anybody, but he's... Um, So he goes on, you know, I'm a bodybuilder. I am beautiful. I am skinny. <laughs> Speaking truth into my life right now. <laughs> Not working. You can find any messenger out there who will tell you what you want to hear. You can find any voice to convince you of the truth you want to believe. And that applies specifically and in context right inside of the church. And so the challenge is not for us to be careful about the voices outside of the world and the world, which we ought to be, but to be careful of the voices right here at home. As a younger preacher, I remember reading this passage and thinking, man, I can't, I can't preach something like that because that's going to make people doubt me. You know, it's like, it's like the, a complex in my mind. Like if I say, you can't trust You've you got you to doubt everything you hear. Now, that's, that's not what he's saying there, but it kind of is what he's implying. That you shouldn't just take everything that comes across your path and believe it. You shouldn't just, oh, well, so I heard someone at church say this, and so it's got to be true. Hey, my Sunday school teacher said this, it must be true. Hey, pastor said it, it must be true. And now listen to me very carefully. Pastor has a testimony and an example of faithfulness and accurate biblical preaching. And, and so I have seen that in the pulpit, and I have seen that outside of the pulpit. And on face value, if I hear him say something that, I, that rubs me the wrong way, you know what it's going to cause me to do? Go to the word of God. And you know what? In my life, I can honestly say, I've never went to the word of God after hearing something he said and it not be validated. And so you know what I do? I trust. Because it's been a, an example of proven faithfulness. But the example here, the, the instruction here is, hey, just don't trust every voice that's out there because you'll hear whatever you want to hear and there's plenty of voices that will convince you and allow you to justify wrong behavior in your life. 
And so go to the word of God. It is shameful for the believer not to be versed, to understand, to have knowledge of God's word so that we know how we should conduct ourselves. Hey, that doesn't mean you know it all. But it means when you hear it and it rubs you the wrong way, you turn right back to this. Or you go to the one who delivered the message and you say, hey, I don't understand. That doesn't, that's not what I've always learned. Can you help me understand that? But instead, usually what we do is we go find the voice that justifies our reason and the way we want to go, and we ignore this. Shameful, shameful behavior. Voices that are so profound, that are so uh, loud around us, and it lulls us to sleep. Maybe a false sense of security. Maybe you're taking things for granted in your life, or maybe it's just simple laziness. You want to be fed by somebody else. And you're not willing to dive into the word of God yourself. And so Paul brings this message. Hey church, what you need to do to solve this problem of being sucked in by false doctrine and false teaching is you've got to awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. It's such a powerful phrase. What is righteousness? Well, it's certainly not my doings and what I accomplish in my flesh. My righteousness is as of filthy rags. And so I can't, it's certainly not a call for me to look around me and say, oh man, look at this person, they're such a, a godly person, I must act like them. No, the, the call here this evening is a call to, to look to God. Awake to righteousness, the righteousness of God and who he is, to get a better picture of, of who God is and what he wants to do in my life. You see, it's, it's when we get a true picture of who God truly is in our lives that we begin to see the flaws and the, 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 the missteps and the, the areas of our lives that, that have gone astray. I, I know I've used this example before. It's, it's so true. I remember at one point, getting up on a Sunday and thinking I had a beautiful white shirt and it was hanging there on the closet and, and, uh, and, and, and there it is. And, and I remember I had my t-shirt on and, and it was brand new, the t-shirt was. And I got the t-shirt on and I go get my dress shirt and I'm thinking, man, it's a nice white dress shirt, it's ready to go, it's ready for the day. And I put that dress shirt on and it's unbuttoned and you see the contrast of the brand new white undershirt versus the what I thought was white dress shirt. You're like, Wait, when... From here to there, it turned yellow. It's a miracle, all right? It's like, how did this happen? And that's what well water will get you, so be warned. But um, the righteousness of God, when we compare ourselves to it, it begins to reveal to us. It begins to expose the areas of weakness and false doctrine in context here that we may have allowed ourselves to believe in. It, it, it reveals to us areas of deficiency in our spiritual life where we may be conducting in ourselves that doesn't honor the Lord in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. But when we start to look at His righteousness and we can begin to compare ourselves to Him and we awake to it, we, we're startled out of our, our sleepiness, we're startled out of our laziness, then all of a sudden we see, wow, how far I've drifted. Or how far away from God I am. Yeah. 
Comparing ourselves among ourselves, we become fools. We're just suckered right in to thinking we're all right. But when the righteousness of God is revealed in our lives, we begin to see ourselves for who we are. The great awakenings of yesteryear, both in Europe and in America, were, were titled so because of the righteousness of God that was revealed as people got on their faces crying for others to repent and for others to recognize their sin and crying for the lost and on their knees night after night after night for God to convict other people of their need for Christ and all of a sudden realizing, oh, it's me, I'm the one who needs to see Christ for who he truly is. I need to look at his righteousness. I need to compare myself against him and see that I've allowed things in my life that don't glorify and honor the Lord. And that's what we need in America today. As we consider our campaign and the world that is lost out there, let it begin with an attitude of awake to righteousness. Let's see that we're the ones who are in need. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Yes, there is a, a world that is lost and dying, and, and they certainly need the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation from an eternity in hell. But we have got to constantly be pinching ourselves and bringing ourselves back from a, a state of sleepiness or laziness in our spiritual lives and recognizing the righteousness of God. As we watched this play the other day, and the there was a line in the song of, about Peter and when him and Jesus made eye contact after that, right? Here's Peter over here, denies him. He comes walking around the fire pit and he sees Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus looked upon Peter. And that's one of the most convicting things. And when I read that passage, it always strikes me. Well, we know what Jesus would have saw as he looked at Peter. He would have saw a man, a sinner, he would have saw the person he said, I, I told you it was going to happen. But I still love you, and I'm going to follow through with, with what I'm doing right now because I know who you are. But what did Peter see? He saw God. He was starting to get a picture once again in his frailty. He was starting to get a, a picture once again of who Christ was. He was awaking from sleeplessness. Somebody had slapped Peter and all of a sudden he had awoken to righteousness and see, you know what, I let him down again. I did it getting out of the boat. I did it stepping in the water or, all, or, the, or the fish. I'm sorry, the, at the fish. I, I've done this before and I see him for who he truly is. His righteousness, that that's the son of God and he's the one who's going to redeem me. And that's what happens when we take our eyes off all the things around us and we start to fix ourselves on the righteousness of God and all that he's done for you and for me. As the theme of that play was, he saw Jesus. And that entails so much more than a man. The righteousness of God in flesh. See, I understand we're living in a wicked time. And if you would jump with me back to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. Let me scare myself. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse number 9. We see a cry from the from the from the uh, 
the children of Israel, they're living in a wicked day and, and uh, they, they want help. In verse number 9, the people are crying unto the Lord, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not he that hath cut uh, Rahab and wounded the dragon? Hey, awake, awake. God, you've got to help us. We're living in a wicked time. But verse number 17, we see God's response to these people who are calling to him and asking for him to wake up. And he speaks back to them and he says, Awake! Awake! Stand up, O Jerusalem! Hey, you're calling for me to wake up, but I'm not the problem here. I've always been where I've always been. I've always stood in righteousness. I've always been that right hand of, of power and of strength. It's you that needs to wake up. It's, it's your turn to stand up and to recognize me for who I am. You wake up. And that's what we need. We need a people. We need to be a people. They don't constantly look to God and say, hey God, you got to perform all this. You got to change this wicked world. There's so many voices that are trying to pull me astray. No, it's time for us to wake up and take a stand. To stand for right because we understand righteousness. Because we've been in the word of God and we've allowed its word, his word to change us. We know the prophet Hosea told the, the, the people that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I'm convinced more and more and more and more that in these latter days, there's not so much swaying from doctrinal truth or departure from biblical truth because people want to sway or want to depart. It's because they don't know God. They don't know righteousness. They're not in this book. They don't spend time getting to know him and what he wants. They come to churches faithfully and they sit in Sunday school classes and they let other people teach them truth. They get on the internet and they absorb truth from all different kinds of sources and they're pulling it from everywhere. But people don't know who God is. And I know it's an age-old principle that we've been that have I've heard from the time I was a youth that I could remember preaching, and 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 I know that I've preached it time and time and time again. But you know what the, the truth of this whole scenario is, is that we need to wake up. It's so easy for you and for and, and for I, as we sit in this auditorium, even to be lulled to sleep. I mean, consider it in reality. How many times have you sat in a service and left completely unchanged? How many times have we even been down to an altar and confessed a sin and walked out and continued in that sin? Why is that? Because it's just external feedings that we're taking in and we never get into this. We don't understand the righteousness of God. He, he's not revealed to us and we have no personal relationship with us. And so we're swaying and we're departing and you see that in the world in which we live in and it's prophesied that that's how the church will be but it's not how it has to be if people will wake up if we'll wake up and that's 
Isn't that what you want? Do you want to be in sleep? Do you want to be in a state where you're, you're not really be able to be used by God, where you're just kind of drifting along and you get enough of spiritual influence from outside sources in your life that you feel good, but you're, you know you're just kind of in a zombie Christian mode? Is that what you want? Is that what you want your Christian life to be? Just kind of floating along? You can do it. But that's not what God intended for you. That's not the fullness of, of, of a relationship due to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's shameful for, for us to be in that condition. We need a, an awakening. I need an awakening, and I, I constantly find myself thinking back to this passage as there's times in my life where even I'm incredibly busy for the Lord, but asleep. And I know and I can sense in my spirit where the Holy Spirit is coming and reproving me of righteousness. And saying, Steve, it's, it's time to get things back on, tr it's time to get your attitude right. It's time to really dive in deep. It's, it's time to fix your heart on me. Hey, we need it, church. And don't, if you're in tonight and you say, hey, I don't need an awakening. I'm telling you right now, you have sucked into the wrong voices. You're doing exactly here. It's a shameful thing. Don't get caught in it. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict and allow Him to bring change in your life. When we see God and His righteousness for what it truly is, we cannot help but realize there are areas of our lives that are impure. There are areas of our lives that need changed, but those outside voices will change that lickety-split if we don't stay focused on His righteousness. William Cowper had been promised a post as a clerk of a journal to the House of Lords. He later learned that in order to take up this post, he was going to have to go through public scrutiny. He had struggled with depression in the past, and immediately voices began to resound in his head. And he said, you know what, rather than face this public scrutiny, I'm just going to commit suicide. He had already this unstable mental condition, and because of that, he procured means to commit suicide. He got a belt out of his closet and put it around his neck and hung himself with the belt from a door mantle. And he succeeded to the point of passing out in unconscious mode. He woke up several hours later to find that the belt had broken and he was yet still alive. The next day as he walked down the street, he felt an immense feeling of disapproving eyes as though he had sorely displeased the Lord. It was, however, just a short time later that he realized there was nothing he could do that could not be washed away. And although he was wrong, he still had the righteousness of God in his life. He later penned these words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, 
redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The righteousness of God revealed. He felt those disapproving eyes, the conviction that came upon him. But when he looked up, he saw the righteousness of God. I'm flawed, done wrong, but it can be under the blood. And I can move forward in a brand new stream that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And I can do something for the Lord. I can do something for him. Far too often we settle for the Febreze method of cleansing. We cover up the odor in our lives. But the call here tonight is to awake. Don't just cover it up once more. Awake to righteousness and sin not. And so the cry of our hearts ought to be, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me. Lead me. Lead me. Show me your righteousness, and I'll imitate you. Show me the area that's not right. Show me where I've been wrong. Show me where I've let the wrong voices in my life persuade me. Lead me in paths that are everlasting. You know, I'm telling you right now, you will not awake to righteousness because of this message. This might be a spark, and I pray that it is. But you will only awake to righteousness in your heart and your life if you are in this tomorrow. If you are on your face before the Lord the day after that. The preaching, the foolishness of preaching, it does confound the wise. And it does an amazing work. But you've got to get in this to see the righteousness of God. And that's what's going to make the difference in your life. Awake to righteousness. Tonight we sang that hymn number 14. And the last verse of that was, Kneel at the cross, give your idols up, look unto realms above. Turn not away to life's sparkling cup. Trust only in his love. And that's what we need. An awakening to the righteousness of God. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Father, Lord, as we have read from your word this evening... There is a shameful behavior in the believer's life, and it comes from a lack of knowledge of your righteousness. Lord, reveal your righteousness to us. May we see you for who you truly are. May we know you. May we increase in knowledge as your son did when he gave us the example of living a godly life. Lord, may your righteousness reveal in our lives areas of weakness and areas where we've gone astray and areas where the wrong voices have justified behavior in our lives. Lord, may we compare ourselves to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, as the piano begins to play, as
the message was delivered tonight. If the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, I trust that you will respond in obedience. I'm not saying there's an area of your life where you are in sin or that you have gone astray, but what I'm saying is that we'll need a constant reminder in our lives where we are awakened 